Welcome to East Lansing Crime War, a podcast hosted by Verena Danielle and Wajiha Kamal. Each week we'll update you on current crime and then we'll take you back to a crime blast from the past. Thank you for listening and stay tuned. A quick introduction of your new hosts. My name is Wajiha and I am a cops and courts reporter at the State News. My co-host Verena is a minority affairs reporter at the State News. This week, we'll feature the story of Paige Marie Renkowski, a woman who went missing in 1990 and whose case remains unsolved. But first, some local crime updates. Ty Garbin from Heartland Township pleaded guilty on January 27th to plotting with several others to kidnap Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Garbin's kidnapping conspiracy charge is punishable by up to life in federal prison. According to the plea deal obtained by the Detroit News, Garbin agreed to fully cooperate with the FBI, U.S. Attorney's Office, Michigan State Police, and Attorney General's Office in ongoing investigations in federal and state court. He will also be testifying against his co-conspirators. Do you have any opinions on this, Verena? What's your What's your thoughts? I think that it's really good that he's agreed to cooperate with the FBI. Um, I think that that will lead to more people that were involved in the plot to kidnap the governor um, to be held accountable. I definitely think this will also lead to more information about um, alt-right terrorism in Michigan, and hopefully it will lead more information, and um, we will be able to handle these threats and prosecute them accordingly. Next up. The Lansing Police Department called upon the community earlier this week for help identifying a suspect in a larceny investigation. The investigation involves a stolen converter in the 1000 block of North Washington Avenue. Any information can be directed to the LPD at 517-483-4600 and Detective Jason Evans at 517-483-6823. From my knowledge, this case is still ongoing, so if you have any information, please call those numbers. It can be extremely helpful um, in in identifying the suspect. Now it's time for the crime blast from the past. Disclaimer, this story includes content some listeners may find disturbing. Paige Marie Renkowski was born on February 2nd, 1960. She was 30 years old when she disappeared. Renkowski was last seen May 24th, 1990, on westbound Interstate 96, about one quarter of a mile east of the Fowlerville exit or mile marker 129, talking to a man standing next to a maroon-colored minivan. Her car, which belonged to her mother's employer, was found hours later, still running, lights on, and her shoes and purse inside. Renkowski was a substitute teacher from DeWitt Township, Michigan, near Okomos in 1990. She was engaged in living with her significant other in Lansing. Paige was working as a preschool aide while she pursued a degree in early childhood development. Cold case investigators from Livingston County Sheriff's Department assigned to the case say they have no doubt the 5 foot 7 inch tall, 125 pound blonde haired woman is dead. But investigators have been unable to answer what happened to her as well as where, when, and why. I definitely think that it's interesting that um, her car was found um, and that she was on an interstate um, where there's a lot of a lot of cars and a lot of people passing through, um, no doubt I think something someone knows something, um, and I think oftentimes with missing person cases that are unsolved, someone always knows something, but they just aren't willing to come out for whatever reasons. Um, so yeah, I definitely think that it's quite unfortunate, and she is probably dead, but that doesn't mean that there 
is no justice. Um, justice can be can be delivered. Um, if they per find this person, persecute um, them, or they find um, Ren Page's body. Mm -hmm. This case reminds me of, uh, of a recent case from last year where the girl, um, I believe she was from Ohio, she left her car uh, with the keys inside, um, her phone, she just left it in the parking lot, and when she was found, um, I believe um, six days later, she, she said that she had like run away to, um, to start a new life. So this made me think of that because, you know, all of her belongings were found in the vehicle. The vehicle is still running and there's no trace of her. Yeah, I definitely think that if she were to run away, someone might know or someone might have seen something or someone might have seen a change in her behavior. So I'm really um, interested to see um, when we discuss the rest of the case, what, what happens. The cold case team created a timeline of Renkowski's whereabouts that day in an effort to narrow the time frame she went missing. We will be discussing that first. Based on witness accounts, Renkowski drove her mother to Detroit Metro Airport around 11.30 a.m. She then went home to visit a friend in Canton. They both went to the park before returning to the friend's home. Renkowski was seen around 2.30 p.m. to 2.45 p.m. at a now abandoned slash closed down party store located at Ford Road west of Interstate 275 in Canton, where she bought a beer, um, which was found in her car later on. The clerk there remembers Renkowski vividly because she wore distinctive multicolored, loose-fitting flowered pants and a distinctive necklace. The clerk asked Renkowski about her necklace, according to investigators. Numerous witnesses reported seeing Renkowski driving west on I-96. One woman said she could have seen Renkowski at a rest stop kiosk, but the witness has Alzheimer's today and they have not been able to confirm her this report. A couple long-haul semi-drivers reported seeing a woman fitting Renkowski's description when driving alongside or passing her vehicle on I-96. The first witness who noticed Murkowski told investigators he saw her 1986 Oldsmobile Cutlass Callis on the side of the road several times that day when he traveled back and forth to Lansing, but this is also largely unsubstantiated. Most reports, the cold case team said, placed Renkowski's appearance on the shoulder of I-96 in Livingston County between 3.15 p.m. and 4.30 p.m. when she was allegedly seen with a man in a burgundy or maroon-colored minivan. What intrigues me the most about this case is that these witness descriptions were so, there were so many of them, but it's impossible to know for sure if these people were actually seeing her or not. Because it could have been like a coincidence. There could have been people that were driving the same car. Um, maybe, you know, blonde women driving a similar vehicle. Um, and the timing of it is really, uh, is really interesting because um, she was seen outside of her car shopping and running errands not too long before the time where she went missing. So I wonder if this was like a crime of opportunity or if it was, um, or if it was like arranged Oh, 100%. I think it's very, very interesting how there's so many witness accounts and none of them 
are confirmed. A lot of them are unconfirmed. And I think it's also unfortunate that there's no camera evidence or um, surveillance footage of her at this store. Um, definitely because it's 1990, but I also think um, this kind of shows the importance maybe of having some cameras inside um, grocery stores, um, around highways maybe, um, where there are now. But I also think it's quite interesting how none of these witness accounts have led to much discovery and she still is, it's still unsolved. Yeah, the, um, the inconsistency in these reports is what makes this so hard to figure out. I agree. There have been reports of Rinkowski driving fast on I-96 and a vehicle that tried to catch up with her. One witness said they saw a man holding Rinkowski's elbow and guiding her. Witnesses indicated that Rinkowski was talking to a man and gesturing with her hands up in the air while the man put a hand on her shoulder. Over the years, witnesses' descriptions sketches have varied. A 1999 sketch shows a small guy, but later on, a taller man is described. 80% or more of the tips received indicated the man near Rinkowski was black, but some have reported a Hispanic man as well. Some witnesses also recall seeing a man, a second man, in or around the minivan, but this has not been confirmed by investigators. The cold case team believes Rinkowski vanished around 4 o'clock in the afternoon on May 24, 1990. Um, I'm not sure how accurate these tips are. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, a lot of the witness accounts are unsubstantiated, um, and I think it's important to take into account that um, nobody, none of these witnesses really know. Like, these sketches are also quite inconsistent. Um, although 80% have received tips about the man near Runkowski, I don't know if that means anything. Um, but I do think that it's important that there was a minivan there, but that's also has not been confirmed. So I don't know if this is on the investigators. It seems as though the investigation itself um, is quite inconsistent and in that the timeline is not very um, accountable to what a lot of witnesses are saying as well. Yeah, I think that the small inconsistencies, like the man's hand being on her elbow versus on her shoulder, are, it makes these hard to believe because, you know, it could be just memory not serving the person correctly, and it also could be that they really weren't witnessing it, or maybe they weren't paying enough attention, and that, that brings up the question of, you know, is this accurate? Can we go off of this? Exactly. And also the, a lot of the sketch is from 1999. She went missing in 1990. So I do think it's possible that a lot of these witnesses either forgot or, you know, their memory has been clouded over the years. And I think a lot of that comes from the fact that this was not a very immediate investigation following her disappearance, which I think probably has a lot to do with the inconsistencies as well. Now that we've discussed the timeline, let's talk about the investigation. The spot where investigators found the 1986 Silver Calais Rinkowski was driving was not processed as a crime scene because it was considered an abandoned car. Investigators don't know where the exact scene is. There are no photographs or sketches. An officer responding to the calls about an abandoned car turned it off, locked it up, and tagged it as an abandoned car because it was believed the car had broken down and the driver walked to the Fowlerville exit for help. 
Police found several fingerprints on the car, but they have not found a match through the law enforcement databases. They also have palm prints, but have no, but have found no match either. A witness reported seeing Rinkowski near the car at 3 p.m., and officers responded to the scene after 6 p.m. Once they learned Rinkowski was missing. I think that the the main issue with the timing isn't just that the investigation and the sketches didn't come out until nine years after the fact. It's also that the car wasn't immediately thought of as a crime scene because if the if these people that were reported to be around her at the time she went missing had anything to do with it, then a lot of the evidence needed to be collected immediately, but they had no way of knowing that. So they just thought that, you know, somebody had left their car on the side of the road after it broke down. And that's totally understandable because there's no way for anybody to have known that ahead of time before these reports started coming in. But it's, um, it's definitely unfortunate that it worked out that way. I agree. And I also think that the 24 hours after a person the 24 hours following a person's disappearance is essential. It's so yes. beyond important. And a lot of this was done very late. Um, I also wonder whether the police has run their DNA um, through ancestry websites, because a lot of the time nowadays, that's where they can find matches. So I definitely do wonder if they have done that or not. And I think that would be a great avenue perhaps to take to solve this case or find some information. Investigators found Rinkowski's shoes lying on the floor near the driver's seat and her purse with her wallet and money inside was in the car as were personal items, including papers. Now we will discuss theories. A huge question for investigators is why Rinkowski stopped on the shoulder of a busy interstate when she could have received help at the Fowlerville exit. Investigators say it is possible the scene was staged, but the physical evidence does not support this entirely because there's a lack of motive, also known as money. When someone stages an accident, they want to get money, and Rinkowski had a significant amount of money in an investment account, which hadn't been touched after she went missing. Um, I definitely think that it's interesting that this could have been staged, and I definitely do think that is a possibility. Um, although the physical evidence may not completely support it, we don't have a lot of information to begin with. Um, there's a lack of evidence in terms of witness accounts, um, a lot of them are unsubstantiated. There's no confirmation on DNA. Um, and perhaps money is not the motive. Um, obviously, uh, money is a huge factor in a lot of disappearance cases and murder cases, but it's also a possibility that that was never the motivation to begin with. Yeah, I think that this is definitely a crime where normally when you're driving, you see a car on the side of the road, you assume that the car is broken down, the person will be back, excuse me, will be back for it. Um, But this one was kind of like, this car is still running. They wanted this to be reported. It was very obvious. The location was um, on a busy interstate where, you know, it was right by an exit. So if this wasn't, um, if this wasn't deliberate, then I think it wouldn't have gone down the way it did. Yeah, if someone wanted her car to be found, that means they wanted investigators and people to know she went missing. And if they took the money after that, then that's a direct line to them to for investigators. So I think it's very interesting they wouldn't do that. I think that's a possibility that they wouldn't go after the money, especially if they wanted her car to be found. 
I also think that they would have taken her stuff with them if they if they didn't want anything to be suspicious. They wouldn't have left her belongings in the vehicle. Especially, um, especially yeah. Especially not papers. I'm very interested to know what those papers were, like what kind of documents they were. And especially if this person wanted something to do with money, her belongings in her car would be very um, important to getting that money. If she had her credit cards in the car or she had some of her, if those documents were financial in nature, which we don't know if they are, but if they are, then why would this person leave them there? In May 2002, the Associated Press reported that police identified two suspects. One of those suspects was in prison at the time, while the other was 17 at the time, and flunked a polygraph exam. There's been people of interest, but half are dead, and the fingerprints have not ruled them out. Yeah, this one's a tough one, because you have to wonder, how would a 17-year-old be responsible for the disappearance of a 30-year-old adult? And... The fact that the people of interest are dead is very unfortunate because this isn't a case where you can have the authority to exhume bodies and um, and confirm fingerprints. And so, if you know if one of these people of interest that have passed away is the person responsible, then her family won't get closure, which is kind of sad. I especially wonder because if this person of interest is 17, it's possible that she's taught this student before because she was a teacher, a substitute teacher. Um, I also wonder what avenues they took in investigating um, this individual um, and what came out of it, especially if the fingerprints have not ruled them out. So I definitely wonder how investigators are navigating this um, and why nothing has come out. Um, I wonder if they have looked into um, Renkowski's life as a teacher or if she has any enemies um, which I think also with the possibility of this crime being staged is very is a it's potential it's a it's a possibility I would also be interested in figuring out where her fiance was in all of this and how he felt about it and if they investigated him I also wonder that. We haven't heard much about the fiance or her family in general or her relationships with other people. So I definitely wonder if that's something the police have investigated or it's something that they haven't investigated. It seems in this case that there's a lot lot of information that nobody really knows. Um, We don't know much about Renkowski's background either, who she was, um, her personality, Um, her job, her work life, her personal life, which is something I think investigators look into for missing persons cases. Perhaps that's not released to the public, but I think it's also worth noting that. This brings us to the question, where are we now? There have been numerous searches in ponds, harbors, etc., even stretching beyond Michigan. There are people out there who know something, and it is possible that the closer we get, the sooner we reach a resolution. I agree with this. I definitely do think that Um, Someone out there knows something, whether it is a witness, whether it's someone she knows personally, like a friend. We also don't know much about her friends or her personal life. Um, We don't know much about her fiance. I wonder, I wonder if the police have investigated her fiance or if they've ruled him out, Um, because that's also something that happens a lot in missing person cases and murder cases. I think it's I think it's most likely that she is dead 
Um, I wonder where, why they decided to search beyond Michigan. Um, I wonder if they've searched around the exit, um, if there's a forest nearby, some woods. Um, it's also possible that she's buried somewhere else. Um, there's a lot that we don't know, but I think the closer we get, the sooner we reach a resolution um, as well. Yeah, I think that a lot of the time, these missing, uh, these missing persons cases end up, obviously the person ends up dead after such a long time. You know, it's been about three decades since she went missing. But a lot of these end up where somebody stumbles upon the body, like the case that we talked about last week. Um, I believe it was Marita Chiquette. Her body was found by a farmer who was clearing some rocks on his property. So it, it really just takes things like that sometimes to solve these cases. A hundred percent. It's usually the, the public who finds the body or like you said, a farmer or somebody in the community. Um, I definitely wonder if how many searches have been organized? I wonder um, mostly about um, her background. We don't know much about Ronkowski other than the fact that she was um, she was pretty, she was beautiful, um, but we don't know much about her background, her upbringing, her family, her fiance especially, um, and maybe that's not worth knowing in this case, but I definitely think that there's so much we don't know. Um, yeah, I- there's so much we don't know. Yeah, I think there are a lot of missing pieces to this puzzle. A hundred percent. Paige Ronkowski is a five foot, six inches tall and 125 pounds. She has blonde hair and blue eyes. She has a long surgical scar on the inside of her right arm and a surgical scar on her right leg from knee replacement. She has two surgical screws in her left knee. Um, Ronkowski was last seen wearing a white silk shirt, multicolored loose-fitting pants, and a long beaded necklace. If you have any information, you can submit a tip in one of three ways. First, you can call 1-800-SPEAK-UP or 1-800-773-2587. This is a live operator located in the Crime Stoppers Call Center in Canada that takes tipsters' calls. Or you can go to www.1800speakup.org and click on Submit Anonymous Tips. Tipsters can then fill out a simple form with their tip information. Or you can text CSM um, to CRIMES, capital C-R-I-M-E-S, or 274-637. Your information. Information could bring Ronkowski's case to justice and provide her family with closure. We urge you to take action if you know something. It can be difficult. We're not saying it's easy, but if it'll bring this case one step closer to justice, it's worth it. Thank you for joining us today. Stay tuned for another episode next week. If you have any Michigan true crime stories you'd like to see featured on a future episode, contact myself, Verena, at Verena M. Daniel on Twitter or Verena.Daniel at StateNews.com or my co-host Wajiha at Kamal Wajiha on Twitter or wajiha.kamal at statenews.com.